Hello. The Supreme Court is beginning to pick up its decisions uh, as we head later into June. This is Jake Leahy reading the Supreme Court decision syllabus in Allen versus Alabama. Appeal from the United States District Court for the Northern District of Alabama. Argued October 4th, 2022. Decided June 8th, 2023. This case was also uh, decided together with Allen versus Castor on certiorari before judgment to the United States Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit. The issue presented is whether the districting plan adopted by the state of Alabama for its 2022 congressional elections likely violated Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. As originally enacted in 1965, Section 2 of the Act tracked the language of the 15th Amendment, providing that the right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. In City of Mobile versus Bolden, this court held that the 15th Amendment, and thus Section 2, prohibits states from acting with a racially discriminatory motivation or an invidious purpose to discriminate, but it does not prohibit laws that are discriminatory only in effect. Criticism followed, with many viewing Mobile's intent test as not sufficiently protective of voting rights. But others believe that adoption of an effects test would inevitably require a focus on proportionality, calling voting laws into question whenever a minority group won fewer seats in the legislature than its share of the population. Congress ultimately resolved this debate in 1982, reaching a bipartisan compromise that amended Section 2 to incorporate both an effects test and a robust disclaimer that, quote, nothing in Section 2 establishes a right to have members of a protected class elected in numbers equal to their proportion in the population. In 1992, Section 2 litigation challenged the state of Alabama's then-existing districting map, resulted in the state's first majority black district, and subsequently, the state's first black representative since 1877. Alabama's congressional map has remained remarkably similar since that litigation. Following the 2020 decennial census, a group of plaintiffs led by Alabama legislator Bobby Singleton sued the state, arguing that the state's population growth rendered the existing congressional map malapportioned and racially gerrymandered in violation of the Equal Protection Clause. While litigation was proceeding, the Alabama Legislature's Committee on Reapportionment drew a new districting map that would reflect the distribution of the prior decade's population growth across the state. The resulting map largely resembled the 2011 map on which it was based and similarly produced only one district in which black voters constituted a majority. That new map was signed into law as HB1. Three groups of Alabama citizens brought suit seeking to stop Alabama's Secretary of State from conducting congressional elections under HB1. One group, Castor plaintiffs, challenged HB1 as invalid under Section 2. Another group, Milligan plaintiffs, brought claims under Section 2 and the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. And a third group, the Singleton plaintiffs, 
amended their complaint in their ongoing litigation to challenge HB1 as a racial gerrymander under the Equal Protection Clause. A three-judge district court was convened, and the Singleton and Milligan actions were consolidated before that district court for purposes of preliminary injunction proceedings, while Castor proceeded before one of the judges on a parallel track. After an extensive hearing, the district court concluded in a 227-page opinion that the question whether HB1 likely violated Section 2 was not close. The court preliminarily enjoined Alabama from using HB1 in forthcoming elections. The same relief was ordered in Castor. Held. The court affirms the district court's determination that plaintiffs demonstrated a reasonable likelihood of success on their claim that HB1 violates Section 2. A. The district court faithfully applied this court's precedence in concluding that HB1 likely violates Section 2. 1. This court first addressed the 1982 amendments to Section 2 in Thornburg v. Gingles and has for the last 37 years evaluated Section 2 claims using the Gingles framework. Gingles described the essence of a Section 2 claim as when a certain electoral law, practice, or structure interacts with social and historical conditions to cause an inequality in the opportunities enjoyed by black and white voters. That occurs where an electoral structure operates to minimize or cancel out minority voters' ability to elect their preferred candidates. Such a risk is greatest where minority and majority voters consistently prefer different candidates and where minority voters are submerged in a majority voting population that regularly defeats their choices. To prove a Section 2 violation under Gingles, plaintiffs must satisfy three preconditions. First, the minority group must be sufficiently large and geographically compact to constitute a majority in a reasonably configured district, citing Wisconsin Legislature versus Wisconsin Elections Commission. Second, the minority group must be able to show that it is politically cohesive, Gingles. And third, the minority must be able to demonstrate that the white majority votes sufficiently as a block to enable it to defeat the minority's preferred candidate. A plaintiff who demonstrates the three preconditions must then show under the totality of circumstances that the challenged political process is not equally open to minority voters. The totality of circumstances inquiry recognizes that application of the Gingles factors, in fact, dependent and requires courts to conduct an intensely local appraisal of the electoral mechanism at issue, as well as a searching practical evaluation of the past and present reality. Congress has not disturbed the court's understanding of Section 2 as Gingles construed it nearly 40 years ago. 2. The extensive record in these cases supports the district court's conclusion that plaintiff's Section 2 claim was likely to succeed under Gingles. As to the first Gingles precondition, 
The district court correctly found that black voters could constitute a majority in a second district that was reasonably configured. The plaintiffs adduced 11 illustrative districting maps that Alabama could enact, at least one of which contained two majority black districts that comported with traditional districting criteria. With respect to the compactness criteria, for example, the district court explained that the map submitted by one expert performed generally better on average than did HB1 and contained no bizarre shapes or any other obvious irregularities. Plaintiff's map contained equal populations, were contiguous, and respected existing political subdivisions. Indeed, some of plaintiffs' proposed maps split the same or even fewer county lines than the state's. The court finds unpersuasive the state's argument that the plaintiffs' maps were not reasonably configured because they failed to keep together the Gulf Coast region. Even if that region is a traditional community of interest, the district court found the evidence insufficient to sustain Alabama's argument that no legitimate reason could exist to split it. Moreover, the district court found that plaintiffs' map were reasonably configured because they joined together a different community of interest called the Black Belt, the community with a high proportion of similarly situated black voters who share a lineal connection to the many enslaved people brought there to work in the antebellum period. As to the second and third Gingles preconditions, the district court determined that there were, was no serious dispute that black voters are politically cohesive, nor that the challenged district's white majority votes sufficiently as a block to usually defeat black voters' as preferred candidate. The court noted that, on average, black voters supported their candidates of choice with 92.3% of the vote, while white voters supported black preferred candidates with 15.4% of the vote. Even Alabama's expert conceded that the candidates preferred by white voters in the areas that he looked at regularly defeat the candidates preferred by black voters. Finally, the district court concluded that plaintiffs had carried their burden at the totality of circumstances stage given the racial polarization of elections in Alabama, where black Alabamans enjoy virtually zero success in statewide elections, and where Alabama's extensive history of repugnant racial and voting-related discrimination is undeniable and well-documented. The court sees no reason to disturb the district court's careful factual findings, which are, are subject to clear error review and have gone unchallenged by Alabama in any event. B. The court declines to remake its Section 2 jur jurisprudence in line with Alabama's race-neutral benchmark theory. 1. The court rejects the state's contention that adopting the race-neutral benchmark at the point of comparison in Section 2 cases would best match the text of the VRA. Section 2 requires political processes in a state to be equally open, such that minority voters do not have less opportunity than other members of the electorate to participate in the political process and to elect representatives of their choice. Under the court's precedence, a district is not equally open when minority voters face, unlike their majority peers, block voting along racial lines arising against the backdrop of substantial racial discrimination within the state that renders a minority vote 
unequal in favor of a rationale that the state's map cannot abridge a person's right to vote on account of race if the map resembles a sufficient number of race-neutral alternatives. But this court's cases have consistently focused, for purposes of litigation, on the specific illustrative maps that a plaintiff adduces. Deviation from that map shows it is possible that the state's map has a disparate effect on the account of race. The remainder, remainder of the Gingles test helps determine whether that possibility is reality by looking to polarized voting preferences and the frequency of racially discriminatory actions taken by the state. The court declines to adopt Alabama's interpretation of Section 2, which would revise and reformulate the Gingles threshold inquiry that has been the baseline of the court's Section 2 jurisprudence for decades. Bartlett v. Strickland. Two, Alabama argues that absent a benchmark, the Gingles framework ends up requiring the racial proportionality and districting that Section 2 forbids. The court's decisions implementing Section 2 demonstrate, however, that when properly applied, the Gingles framework itself imposes meaningful constraints on proportionality. See Shaw v. Reno, Miller v. Johnson, Bush v. Vera. In Shaw v. Reno, for example, the court considered the permissibility of a second majority minority district in North Carolina, which at the time had 12 seats in the U.S. House of Representatives and a 20% black voting age population. Though North Carolina believed Section 2 required a second majority minority district, the court found North Carolina's approach as impermissible racial gerrymander because the state had concentrated a dispersed minority population in a single district by disregarding traditional districting principles such as compactness, continuity, and respect for political subdivisions. The court's reckon- the sorry, the court's decisions in Bush and Shaw similarly declined to require additional majority minority districts under Section 2 where those districts did not satisfy traditional districting principles. The court recognizes that reapportionment remains primarily the duty and responsibility of the states, not the federal courts. Section 2 thus never requires adoption of districts that violate traditional redistricting principles and instead limits judicial intervention to those instances of intensive racial politics, where the excessive role of race in the electoral process denies minority voters equal opportunity to participate. To apply its C, to apply its race-neutral benchmark in practice, Alabama would require plaintiffs to make at least three showings. First, Alabama would require Section 2 plaintiffs to show that the illustrative maps adduced for the first Gingles precondition are not based on race. Alabama would next graft on to Section 2, a requirement that plaintiffs demonstrate at the totality of circumstances stage that the state's enacted plan contains fewer majority-minority districts than what an average race-neutral plan would contain. And finally, Alabama would have plaintiffs prove that any deviation between the state's plan and a race-neutral plan is explainable only by race. The court declines to adopt any of these novel requirements. Here, 
Alabama contends that because HB1 sufficiently resembles the race-neutral maps created by the state's experts, all of which lack two majority minor lack two majority black districts, HB1 does not violate Section 2. Alabama's reliance on the maps created by its experts, Dr. Duchin and Dr. Imey, is misplaced because those maps do not accurately represent the districting process in Alabama. Regardless, the map comparison test that Alabama proposes is flawed in its fundamentals. Neither the case of Section 2 nor the fraught debate that produced it suggests that equal access to the fundamental right of voting turns on technically complicated computer simulations. Further, while Alabama has repeatedly emphasized that HB1 cannot have violated Section 2 because none of the plaintiffs' 2 million-odd maps contain more than one majority-minority district, that, albeit very big, Number is close to irrelevant in practice because where experts estimate the possible number of Alabama districting maps, numbers is at least in the trillion trillions. Alabama would also require plaintiffs to demonstrate that any deviations between the state's enacted plan and race-neutral alternatives can be explained only by racial discrimination. But the court's precedents and the legislative compromise struck in 1982 amendments clearly rejected treating discriminatory intent as a requirement for liability under Section 2. D. The court disagrees with Alabama's assertions that the court should stop applying Section 2 in cases like these because the text of Section 2 does not apply to single-member redistricting and because Section 2 is unconstitutional, as the district court applied it here. Alabama's understanding of Section 2 would require abandoning four decades of the court's Section 2 precedents. The court has unanimously held that Section 2 in the Gingles framework apply to claims challenging single-member districts. Grove versus Emerson. As Congress is undoubtedly aware of the court's construction of Section 2 to apply to districting challenges, statutory stare decisis, counsels staying the course until and unless Congress acts. In any event, the statutory text supports the conclusion that Section 2 applies to single-member districts. Indeed, the contentious debates in Congress about proportionality would have made little sense if Section 2's coverage was limited as Alabama contends. The court similarly rejects Alabama's argument that Section 2 is applied to redistricting as unconstitutional under the 15th Amendment. The court held over 40 years ago that even if Section 1 of the 15th Amendment prohibits only purposeful discrimination, City of Rome versus United States. The VRA's ban on electoral changes that are discriminatory in effect is an appropriate method of promoting the purposes of the 15th Amendment. Alabama's contention that the 15th Amendment does not authorize race-based redistricting as a remedy for Section 2 violations similarly fails. The court is not persuaded by Alabama's arguments that Section 2 is interpreted in Gingles exceeds the remedial authority of Congress.
The court's opinion does not diminish or disregard the concern that Section 2 may impermissibly elevate race in the allocation of political power within the states. Instead, the court simply holds that a faithful application of precedent and a fair reading of the record do not bear those concerns out here. Affirmed. Chief Justice Roberts delivered the opinion of the court, uh, except for Part 3B1. And uh, Justice Sotomayor, Kagan, and Jackson uh, joined the opi- that opinion in full, and Kavanaugh joined except for Part 3B1. Kavanaugh filed an opinion concurring in all but Part 3B1. Uh, Justice Thomas filed the dissenting opinion in which Justice Gorsuch joined in which Barrett joined as to parts two and three, and in which Justice Alito joined as to parts 2A and 2B. Alito filed a dissenting opinion in which Gorsuch joined. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe, as a lot of opinions are sure to be coming out the next uh, couple days and weeks from the court. So subscribe, turn on notifications, and feel free to leave a review. Thanks for listening.